I'm still officially the mayor, and we're waiting to hear what, uh, what his future is. Politics will be politics, and we're going to have to wait and see. Tonight, debate and direction as the guessing game begins over the future of Toronto's top politician and the city's political landscape. Good evening. We begin tonight with the news that's been dominating conversations at dinner tables and gatherings right across the region. Mayor John Tory's resignation. There has been a lot of uncertainty since Friday when he said he was stepping down following an affair with a former staffer. And with a looming budget, there are a lot of questions about what will happen next. We have full team coverage on this developing story. Austin Delaney will walk us through who the contenders may be to replace Tory as mayor. And Queen's Park reporter Siobhan Morris is looking into the province's role in this issue and what will happen to Tory's newly acquired strong mayor powers. But we begin with our Natalie Johnson and the biggest news from today that Tory says he is sticking around at least until after this week's budget is on the books. Natalie. Zoraida, Tory's decision to resign couldn't have come at a trickier time, just days before a contentious budget that only he can push through with his strong mayor powers. And so, Tory's office says he's not leaving just yet. And depending on how this plays out, he could still be mayor for weeks. John Tory was at City Hall by 6 a.m., still in the mayor's chair for now. All I know is that there was a press announcement. There's been no technical change from last week to this week. It's been three days since that press announcement and admission of an affair with a staffer. I recognize that permitting this relationship to develop was a serious error in judgment on my part. But if City Hall was expecting a resignation letter from Tory today, that did not come. Instead, a series of meetings with councillors and a decision to stay on as mayor until this year's budget process is complete. He has been a strong leader for this budget, strong leader for the city. He needs to continue doing that. I do not want to play politics with this budget. It is too important. After all, it is his budget, and I think that that's for us. Uh, would be the simplest way forward. Does he have the moral authority to push this budget through if he's already said that he's going to be resigning? Well, I think he's going to have a tough time on the council floor keeping that, keeping that package together. And you can bet there's going to be a lot of discussion and cross motions. But staying on until the end of this budget process doesn't necessarily mean that Tory will step down right after the vote on Wednesday. His new strong mayor powers give him the ability to veto council decisions on the budget for up to 10 days after the fact. And then after that, Council can overturn the veto with a two-thirds vote. So this budget process could still go on for days, even weeks. We'll have to wait and see. It really depends on, on what the budget and where it comes and what decisions are made and whether or not the, the mayor feels he has to veto any decisions. And so for now, Tory's not done with Toronto's top job just yet. I just hope that the mayor is coping okay and his family's okay and, uh, you know, there's time for reflection and hopefully forgiveness. Staying on as mayor for at least two more days, maybe more. So is there a chance that Tory could change his mind on stepping down? Well, some of the councillors who met with him today were asked about that. They would only say that that is a personal decision for the mayor, though we know that some of Tory's allies have been quietly urging him to reverse his resignation decision and finish the term. Reporting live at City Hall, I'm Natalie Johnson. Nathan, over to you. All right, thank you, Natalie. Let's turn to CTV's Austin Delaney for more on Tory's resignation if he follows through with stepping down and who might be in the running to replace him. Austin. Well, it's not like John Tory ran unopposed in the last election. There was a full slate of candidates, but because he was the popular incumbent, the big stars stayed away. Not this time. There is a whirlwind of buzz circulating around City Hall as councillors contemplate whether to throw their hats in the ring for the mayor's job. 
Absolutely. It's uh, it'll be an open mayor seat. Progressive counselor Josh Matlow says he is among many putting serious thought into it. I expect that, uh, you know, given that uh, counselors don't need to give up their seats to be able to run, there will be counselors who do so. A run at replacing John Tory in the mayor's office comes with no risk of losing one's council seat if unsuccessful. Two-term councillor Brad Bradford, often seen by Tory's side, is considering. What we need right now is, is not contrarians, it's not partisan politics, it's folks who can unite and bring us together around our shared values, our hopes, our aspirations for this city. Talk will not be enough. We need action, we need generational change, and we need big energy to tackle all of the major issues in front of us. Before leaving City Hall, Denzel Minamwong was Tory's deputy mayor, and having the big job might be enough to lure him back. There are a lot of people thinking about it. I haven't said no, and I'm carefully considering my options. It takes a huge huge sacrifice, family sacrifice. One former city councillor, Joe Cressy, says he's not willing to make that sacrifice. Listen, I adore this city, but we need a mayor who's all in and fully committed. And for me, I'm more committed to my young son right now. So no, I'm, I'm not running. Um, but that, I love my family. Can't do it. Jennifer Kiesmat once wanted the top job as well and ran unsuccessfully against John Tory in 2018. I don't have plans on running. Um, I want to be a part of shaping the conversation around the future of the city because this is a critical moment to think really carefully about what comes next and to get some of the things that we've gotten wrong right. Now we can do that. Defence lawyer Ari Goldkind tried unsuccessfully to beat Tory in 2014. But with the incumbent now out of the way, he's considering another try. Distant runner-up in 22, Gil Penalosa says he's definitely up for another try, along with 22 candidate Blake Acton. Candidate Chloe Brown is also said to be considering a second run. So traditionally, a good solid run for the mayor's job will cost about two, three, even four million dollars. These star candidates are going to have to start fundraising now, reporting live. I'm Austin Delaney. Thank you, Austin. Now, while the race to replace John Tory gets underway, there are a lot of questions about the authority Toronto's next mayor will inherit. Queen's Park reporter Siobhan Morris is looking into that angle for us tonight. Siobhan. Well, Zoraida, the provincial government's been very clear that the intent of these strong mayor powers was to get housing built faster. These rules allow the leaders of Toronto and Ottawa to do things like appoint a CAO, draft budgets, and veto council decisions they feel get in the way of those goals. If John Tory is going to stick around through this budget cycle, including a series of vetoes, well, council can't then reopen the spending plan once Tory leaves. They can make some adjustments, according to uh, municipal law expert John Miscarin, so they can move Move funding from one area into another, but that could mean uh, some difficult decisions at the end of the year, maybe some extra taxes. We know that these uh, special powers were ones that John Tory specifically asked the province for. So the provincial government had some sort of sense of what Tory would use them for. Those powers do not pass to the acting or deputy mayor. Those would not get passed on until we have a by-election. They'd go to the next mayor that, uh, that the voters pick. We do know that this could make things really interesting for really contentious issues in the city, like whether or not to add tolls on the Gardner or the DVP. The strong mayor coming in could say, 
I'm going to move this forward. This is really good. We need this money in order to what? Build public transit or, you know, for anything else that's related to housing. And could say, this is within the provincial priorities that the province has dictated to me, so I'm going to move this forward. I'm going to put this on a council agenda, notwithstanding what the procedure bylaw says, because I'm allowed to do that. And then I'm going to get council to vote on it. And all I need is one-third of council to support me. Uh, we know that previous attempts to add uh, tolls on the Gardner and the TV DVP have been shot down by this PC government and the Liberals before them. Now, there is absolutely no indication this is something the PC government intends to do. But John Mascaren points out that the government does have the right to appoint a mayor if they so choose. He points out that they did appoint regional chairs. They had already been serving but reappointed them in some regional governments this fall. Reporting live from Queen's Park, I'm Siobhan Morris. Zoraida, back to you. Thank you, Siobhan. An office romance is not uncommon, but in some cases it can compromise the workplace and your career. When does it cross the line? The do's and don'ts coming up. Here's a live look at the city tonight, high above the region in our CTV News Chopper. You could not have asked for a better mid-February day to spend outdoors. And you can expect a few more of those this week. Lindsay Morrison is here with a look at the current conditions. Lindsay. Yeah, Nathan, it was a really nice start to a new week. Lots of sunshine, and we made it to a high of 9 degrees today in the city of Toronto. Temperatures dropping as we speak. It is currently 3 degrees. Part of the reason for the cool down, some brisk winds coming out of the northwest, currently gusting to around 40 kilometers per hour. Earlier, we had some flurries make their way through Barrie, some showers in York Region and Durham Region. Very quick in passing. Now we're looking at pretty calm conditions through the overnight hours of eventually dropping to a low of minus two degrees here in the city of Toronto. Tomorrow, we are in for our warmest Valentine's Day in years. We'll talk about that and the rest of your seven-day forecast coming up. For now, Zoraida, I'll send it over to you. Thank you, Lindsay. Police have arrested one man after a fight in Scarborough. They say an argument broke out this morning between two people at a home near Bellamy Road and Amberjack Boulevard. One man was stabbed. He is in hospital in life-threatening condition. No details at this time about the person arrested or their relationship with the victim. Police are also investigating yet another disturbing attack on Toronto's transit system. They say a woman was slashed across her face early Sunday evening. The incident calling into question the recent efforts to bolster security. Our Beth McDonnell is at Spadina Station tonight with more on this story. Beth, what are police saying? Zoraida, uniformed officers are on this system. I saw them here at Spadina Station today. Police are saying they are trying to respond to incidents as effectively and quickly as possible. It's the latest scare. The security image shows a suspect alleged to have pulled out a long knife with a jagged edge, slashing a woman's face. One of three suspects involved in the attack Sunday around 6.30 in the evening at Spadina Station. Ann Oldenburg works next door. It's really terrifying. It doesn't feel safe. To hear these things that keep happening in subway stations make me really reluctant to want to come into the office at all. According to Toronto Police, one of the group also spat on the woman, pushing her repeatedly. Officers say they believe the assault took place by the elevators, that the woman got into an argument with three people she didn't know before things turned violent. The severity of incidents is concerning. David Cooper has been researching and collecting data on incidents and is teaching a university course on transit safety. For perspective, he says there are 
2 million boardings a day on the system. Yet the numbers show a rise of incidents against customers over the past four years, and calls by special constables on the subway are also up dramatically. We need an action plan that addresses all the things that are happening that we're seeing on the system. It addresses mental health supports, it addresses housing, it addresses substance use, addresses staff and customer safety. The data also lags in particular. What impact are 80 additional staff deployed across the system having since the end of January after the terrible rash of incidents? We want to uh, reassure the public that we are there. We do have uniformed officers uh, on TTC property uh, in transit on the subway, uh, you know, in the in the terminals, uh, in the subway platforms. Special constables, streets to homes, workers and safety teams are also out. The TTC tells CTV News safety is paramount and it's committed to making the system as safe as possible. While meetings with the city, union and others are ongoing. But riders say more needs to be done. I'm not seeing anything. I'm on the TTC six or seven times a day. We need a lot more security. Every single station, we need a lot more security. To keep the system and everyone on it safe. Police say the woman has minor injuries and she was treated here at the scene. Police also say all three suspects were not caught. The first male suspect is described as 5'10", with a slim build. The other two, a male and a female, are believed to be teenagers. We have more descriptions of the suspects on our website, toronto.ctvnews.ca. Reporting live at Spadina Station, I'm Beth McDonnell. Zoraida Nathan, back to you. All right, thank you, Beth. OBP north of the GTA making a troubling discovery over the weekend. Officers say they pulled over a driver in Gray County at around dinnertime Sunday with a mound of beer cans piled over the passenger seat. OPP tweeted the pic today. A 61-year-old man has been charged with impaired driving, along with a number of other related offenses. Well, it's a lot less than they wanted, but the provinces have agreed to accept the federal government's health care funding deal. On CTV's Power Play, the current chair of the Premier's Association says the agreement is a step in the right direction. We had a good meeting with all of the uh, premiers across the country today. We've agreed to accept the federal funding from health care. Uh, but we also recognize that there's much more work still to be done, particularly for the long-term sustainability uh, of the Canada health transfer. And so we will be writing to the federal government and to the prime minister to address some of those issues as well. Last week, the Prime Minister offered $46 billion in new spending. The Premiers had been asking Ottawa to raise its share from 22% to 35%. Stephenson says the proposal amounts to about a two-cent increase. The focus now shifts to establishing bilateral agreements tailored for each province. The search continues tonight for the debris of three downed unidentified objects, one of them in Canada's north. In all, four suspicious objects have been blasted out of the sky over the past nine days, escalating geopolitical tensions. CTV's Kevin Gallagher reports. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is in Yukon Territory to celebrate a 50-year-old Indigenous land claim milestone. Terrain now subject to a search to recover debris from an unidentified object shot down Saturday. Obviously, there is some sort of pattern in there. The fact that we are seeing this uh, in a significant degree over the past week uh, is a cause for uh, interest and, and uh, uh, close attention, uh, which is exactly what we're doing. 
Over the past three days, U.S. fighter jets have shot down floating objects. First Friday off Alaska's northern coast, then near Dawson City, Yukon on Saturday. Yesterday, over Lake Huron, near the U.S.-Canadian border, the Coast Guard dispatched its Griffin icebreaker to search for debris. On board are a drone and a drone operator, as well as RCMP, and we are coordinating closely with the U.S. Coast Guard. Canadian and U.S. officials want to analyze the wreckage before they can determine where they were from and what they were doing. Though all three have come after the suspected Chinese spy balloon was shot down off the coast of South Carolina last week. One of the reasons that we think we're seeing more is because we're looking for more. White House officials say China has a military balloon intelligence program that has been spying on America and its allies as far back as the Trump administration. Accusations China denies. Today, the foreign ministry accused the Americans of sending high-altitude balloons into their airspace at least 10 times since last year. There is no U.S. surveillance uh, aircraft uh, over Chinese, uh, in Chinese airspace. Canadian Armed Forces officials confirmed the suspected balloon shot down over Lake Huron yesterday was first seen on radar over southern Alberta before it crossed the border into Montana. Kevin Gallagher, CTV News, Ottawa. Meanwhile, the UK is going to review its security after seeing what happened here in North America. Britain's defense secretary says the incursions are another sign of how the global threat picture is changing for the worse. Service denied an Etobicoke man is threatened with eviction because of a condo policy against pets. Why his service dog is considered too big for the building. That story coming up. Everyone's accounted for following an explosion in suburban Ottawa today that injured 12 people. One individual uh, we rescued, I was at the bottom of debris by one of our first crews here. They cut through a lot of debris with chainsaws, rescued them out. The second individual was inside a home and the home collapsed at the time of the explosion. Our structural uh, collapse team and our confined space team did excellent work. They cribbed the, cribbed the house that's, that collapsed, stabilized it, and then went in and rescued the individual safely. The two men suffered serious injuries but are stable. They were among six people taken to hospital after their blast at an Orleans housing development shortly before 6.30. Four homes that were under construction were destroyed. The cause of the explosion is under investigation. In New York, eight people were struck by a truck today in what police called a violent rampage. At approximately 10.50 this morning, officers responded to a single male driving a U-Haul truck in the Bay Ridge area of Brooklyn. The vehicle struck a number of people, ultimately being stopped here near the entrance to the Battery Tunnel into Manhattan by our highway patrol units. Two people are in critical condition. Two others were seriously hurt. The rest had minor injuries. A man driving a U-Haul truck was arrested after police managed to stop the vehicle following a pursuit through Brooklyn. Investigators are now processing seven scenes. They say there is no indication of this being terrorism-related. It's been one week since earthquakes struck Turkey and Syria, causing a staggering loss of life and widespread devastation. But despite time almost running out, Search teams found more survivors today. Rescuers cheered and clapped as a person was pulled from the rubble. Experts say the window for such rescues is nearly closed given the length of time that has passed. 
The death toll has surpassed 35,000. A Manitoba man who has spent more than two decades behind bars will get a new chance to appeal his conviction. Robert Sanderson was sentenced to life in prison after being found guilty in 1997 of three counts of first-degree murder. Well, now the federal justice minister has referred the case to the Manitoba Court of Appeal. David Lametti concluded there was likely a miscarriage of justice. An advocacy group has said DNA evidence emerged after Sanderson's conviction. Well, final preparations are underway for the funeral of Hazel McCallion. A service for the former Mississauga mayor is set for tomorrow, as well-wishers get one last chance to say a personal goodbye. CTV Sean Lee Thong's in Mississauga tonight with more. Sean. Well, Nathan Zarina, the funeral will be here at the Paramount Fine Food Center tomorrow morning starting at 11. But today was about a personalized goodbye for many of the people who work with Hazel McCallion, many of her friends, so many of them over the 36 years she was mayor, sharing memories, including one former Toronto mayor. A final chance for a personal goodbye. As the body of former Mississauga mayor Hazel McCallion is lying in state, citizens are taking a moment. She gave her life to the people of the city. I mean, not uh, only for the job she was doing, but for the people. Many who knew her speak to the unique personality that was Hazel. She was so tiny, but yet so powerful. Whenever she spoke, everybody was quiet. Lilia Bilbao says Hazel was an inspiration whose presence was larger than her frame. She walked in a room and she was seven feet, not five, two, or what she was. Amazing, and there'll be nobody like her. I wish she was uh, 40 years younger. She would have probably been the prime minister. Former manager of health and safety for Mississauga, Dan Ferguson, remembers attending many events with the former mayor, saying something always stood out to him. We'd be walking out to her car at the end of an event. I used to have to jog about every fourth step to keep up with the mayor. And even those who worked with her across city boundaries say a moment like this is important. I was very pleased to be able to pay my respects to, to such a great woman with an enduring legacy. Former Toronto Mayor David Miller remembering McCallion's strong personality when fighting for her city. When I called a, a meeting of mayors, and uh, they were just of the central cities, not the suburbs, so Mississauga wasn't included. And uh, Hazel was very direct in her comments about uh, Mississauga being included. McCallion State Funeral will take place at 11 a.m. tomorrow at the Paramount Fine Food Center, where today flags fly at half-staff. The funeral procession is expected to leave City Hall after 10 a.m. with an honor guard marching along part of the route. Speakers at the service to include Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, former Prime Minister Jean Chrétien, Premier Doug Ford, Lieutenant Governor Elizabeth Dowdswell, and Mississauga Mayor Bonnie Crombie. While guests are expected to include some of the biggest names in politics, there are those like Diane Kalenchuk for whom... This is deeply personal. Everybody always thinks of, of uh, dear Hazel as being so strong, but she has a good heart, always did. A friend for 30 years saying Hazel McCallion was even more than the size of her personality. And for any members of the public who would like to attend the funeral, at last check, tickets are still available. You have to go to Ticketmaster, but the tickets are free. Reporting live, I'm Sean Lethal. All right, thanks, John. We've got some breaking news for you right now. Police are on the scene of a reported bank robbery near Bathurst and Steeles. There's a live shot. The call came in just before we went to air. No one's been arrested at this time, and there's no word of any injuries. However, York EMS has been called to the location. For updates on this story and more info, head to ctvnewstoronto.ca.
still ahead, getting revved up for a big anniversary. We take you through a sneak peek of the country's biggest auto show. I'm Pat Four, and coming up on Consumer Alert, every year in Canada, hundreds of children are injured in furniture tip-over accidents. Now changes are coming to the way some manufacturers will make furniture to prevent it from happening. I love that story. That's just ahead. Mild days in February are not out of the ordinary. Here's a look at some of our warmest ones in recent years. But this February, we haven't had one-off balmy days. We've been pretty consistently above seasonal, and that pattern continues, especially midweek, before a temporary cool-down on Friday. We could break some temperature records this week. We'll talk about that, plus a look ahead to Family Day is coming up. And stay with us. We've got another full night of great shows for you right here on CTV. It's a deadly danger inside many homes. Furniture that can tip over, injuring or even causing fatalities in young children. Now changes are coming to the way some manufacturers will make furniture to prevent it from becoming a tip-over hazard. Here's Pat Foran and Consumer Alert. Health Canada says every year hundreds of children are injured by furniture and television tip-overs. It's been a problem for decades and now there is a move to force furniture manufacturers to make products that can't tip over. On a morning in December, firefighter Daniel Brong and his two-year-old daughter Zoe were tidying up her room when the unthinkable happened. Zoe started opening up the drawers. When she had opened two of those little drawers on the top, the dresser came down right on her foot. And I was like, oh no. The dresser crushed two of Zoe's toes, nearly severing them. Doctors were able to reattach her toes, and within a few weeks, she healed in a cast. Now Zoe is on her way to a full recovery. The danger isn't new. Over the past two decades, hundreds of young children have died and thousands have been injured from falling furniture or televisions. A majority of tip-over deaths involve children under the age of six. But those grim statistics could soon be changing. In the United States, lawmakers are bringing in a new law called the Sturdy Act. It requires all dressers and similar products made or sold in the U.S., including those under 30 inches tall, to meet minimum safety standards regarding sturdiness and strength testing. And last three, two... Fifteen years since I lost my son Charlie to a tip-over. And this problem has gone on way too long. And I think we've really established a law here that's going to protect children for many, many years going forward. There is no similar law in the books in Canada, but it could still affect the way furniture is made and sold here. Consumer Reports advocated for the new law and reminds parents that even with these new protections, it is still strongly recommended that all furniture be properly anchored to the walls, no matter the height, weight and manufacturing date of the product. To say that I'm thankful that it tipped over, I'm not, but I learned a lot from it. I've secured four other dressers in our house to make sure this doesn't happen again. Securing dressers and other furniture to a wall only takes a few minutes. Some new furniture now comes with an anchoring kit or bracket. If not, they can be purchased separately and should be used in homes with small children. On your side, I'm Pat Foran. If you have a consumer story idea, email us at alert at ctv.ca. A Toronto husband and wife are having problems with their condo board over their beloved pooch, Nala. The golden retriever is a service animal. But as CTV's Mike Walker explains, the board says the dog violates the rules and now Nala must go. 
Varun Manasia's golden retriever Nala is more than just a companion. For the past four years, she's been his service dog supporting his mental health. It reduces the level of anxiety, the stress from work. But this special bond and support is in jeopardy. Manasia says his condo board is threatening to evict Nala because she exceeds the 20 pound limit for pets outlined in the condo's bylaw. The distress and the anxiety of possibly having to lose my dog is is like a whole other thing. I've increased my visits to my psychologist. After moving into the condo this past July, Munasia and his wife provided the property manager and board with documents. No, written by the physician. Including a letter from his physician and therapist, plus Nala's registration with Service Dogs Canada. But the Kingsgate condo board didn't appear satisfied. Board lawyers sent a letter in October requesting more medical documents and proof of animal service training. Which is when we kind of put our foot down saying you have no act right to ask for our personal medical records. Then they said you got to pay a $650 fee in order to write up an agreement towards the exemption. We didn't want to pay the fee because she's a registered service animal. In the letter, lawyers stated without the information, the corporation will require Nala be removed from the property. Munasia says he was given a deadline of February 1st, or the corporation would file a complaint with the Condominium Authority Tribunal to evict Nala. Never even had a sit-down meeting with the board to explain our situation. In a statement to CTV News, the board of directors says it's complying with its obligations pursuant to the Ontario Human Rights Code and its accommodation policy and will continue to do so. Human Rights Code overrides the Condominium Act. This real estate lawyer says service dog owners like Munasia are entitled to an accommodation. Under the Human Rights Code, it is against the law to discriminate on the basis of things like therapy dogs, on, on the basis of your health. With the deadline passed, Nala is still living at the condo. Munasia hasn't heard from the condo since January. We hope that the condo board invites us for a sit-down meeting to, to put our story forward. Hoping this will finally be resolved with his service dog remaining by his side in their new home. Mike Walker, CTV News. All right, very cute dog. Let's talk about the forecast and, of course, above seasonal. And it seems like these temperatures are going to keep on rising for the rest of the week. Yeah, perfect dog walking weather, <laughs> I must say. I agree. <laughs> and you know what, you two? My Valentine's Day gift for you tomorrow is another day just like this one with mild temperatures and lots of sunshine. So happy early Valentine's Day. I have a feeling that many people are going to enjoy the forecast for tomorrow. We get even warmer into the day on Wednesday, but there's a bit of a catch. We're also in for some wet weather at that point. Weather is brought to you by Train, the most reliable heating and cooling brand. It's hard to stop a train. Let's first talk about tonight. We've got partly cloudy skies. Eventually, we're looking to drop to a low of minus 2 degrees. I'll remind you that that is approximately our average daytime high at this point in February. So, yes, we are warmer than what's considered normal. And then waking up tomorrow morning, we will have some sun once again. By 9 a.m., we're already at the freezing mark. And into the afternoon, we are forecasting a daytime high of 9. If we can get there to 9 degrees, that would break the daily temperature record record for Valentine's Day. Uh, the record to beat is eight degrees and that was set all the way back in 1984. There's a couple of opportunities to break records this week. Uh, looking at Wednesday as well because it's likely that we could see our temperature climb into the double digits, maybe even the low teens. So keeping an eye on things. Here's a look at the satellite and radar. Uh, depending on where you're joining us from tonight, you might have seen a quick passing shower late this afternoon. That's now made its way over toward the Kingston area. A couple of flurries around the nation 
nation's capital. Other than that, we're not looking at much in the way of active weather. High pressure is going to be at play for tomorrow, and that's going to be mainly sunny skies, but don't get too used to that because there is another low pressure system waiting in the wings, and this one looks to bring us a decent amount of rainfall as we make our way into the day on Wednesday. It's not going to be a, a consistent rain. It will be on and off showers. Let me show you here. First, though, waking up tomorrow morning, possible that some areas will still have a little bit of cloud cover early on, but that breaks up as the morning goes on. By the afternoon, mainly sunny skies just about everywhere. Then there's an increase in cloud cover. The showers look to begin overnight and into Wednesday morning, so if you have Valentine's Day evening date night plans, you should be able to leave the umbrella at home. This continues, though, overnight and into Wednesday morning. There's about midday Wednesday, and it looks as though we're going to be dealing with some unsettled conditions as we make our way into Thursday night. Look at the temperature change. So we go from 13 degrees on Wednesday to a high of about 6 on Thursday, then a sudden drop. It's going to feel like winter again for a day on Friday, and then we're back above freezing and above seasonal as we make our way into the weekend. There's an early look at your family day Monday forecast. And that's the weather for now. Nathan, I'll send it back to you. All right. Thank you, Lindsay. Also tonight, victory for the Kansas City Chiefs at a history-making Super Bowl. And after seven years, Rihanna returns to perform on music's biggest stage. We're getting a better look at the effectiveness of the COVID-19 drug Paxlovid. Health reporter Pauline Chan has a look at what a new study is saying about the treatment and who it should be prescribed to. The study, published in the Canadian Medical Association Journal, looks at the effectiveness of Paxlovid during the months of April through August of 2022. It's an antiviral medication. It's a combination drug that was specifically designed and used for SARS-CoV-2 infection. And Dr. Kevin Schwartz says the results were positive. I reduced the risk of hospitalization or death from COVID-19 in the patients that received it by about 44% overall. We would have to treat um, approximately 62 people with the drug to prevent one hospitalization or death from COVID-19. So we do find that a, a significant and meaningful finding. The study compared about 9,000 patients who received Paxlovid with about 170,000 who did not. Most of the patients were over the age of 70 and most were vaccinated. Cheryl Smolkin and her husband Joel were among those who got Paxlovid. It's not only that it tastes bad, it creates an ongoing bad taste in your mouth. But she says it did work, noting that she tested negative in five days, while her son, who did not get the drug, stayed positive for almost two weeks. Dr. Schwartz says Paxlovid is not a cheap drug at about $500 per course, but because it has proven to be effective, anyone over age 60 or with other risk factors should contact their doctor or pharmacist immediately if they test positive for COVID. Pauline Chan, CTV News. You too will return to the stage later this year. The band will help open the new MSG Sphere venue in Las Vegas in the fall. The shows will be focused on U2's 1991 album. The group will be without drummer Larry Mullen Jr., who is dealing with neck and elbow issues. Well, the Super Bowl was filled with firsts, two brothers playing on opposite sides, two black quarterbacks on opposing teams, and the first halftime show by a pregnant artist. While the game was a nail-biter right down to the last play, it seems it was Rihanna who some say stole the show. <laughs> CTV's Andrea Casey joins us now with a look at the show. Andrea. Yes, some say.
Nathan says. And a lot of people are saying the same thing. Uh, some of the estimated 100 million people tune in for the game, others for the halftime show, and for 13 minutes, it seems like the eyes of the world, or at least North America, were glued to Rihanna's return to the stage. With a sly look at the camera, Rihanna kicked it off with Have My Money. As the camera zoomed out, the questing erupted around the World Wide Web if the 34-year-old was pregnant. By the end of it, her people confirmed the entertainer who first gave birth to her son last May was expecting her second child. Before the show, Rihanna said she would not be performing alone. The physical challenge has definitely been immense for, for many reasons, of course. It takes a toll on your body. But most thought the comment had to do with a musical guest. This live performance was her first in seven years, and while there was much anticipation about which songs she would sing, there was no new music performed. But when you have 14 number one hits and 31 songs in the top 10, more than Madonna or Michael Jackson, she had lots to choose from. Even she said it was hard to pick. Changing the set list 39 times and settling on the 12 songs could not have been easy. With her star power and background, the Barbados native said she wanted to put the emphasis on the representation as a black woman and immigrants. So perhaps it was fitting she did not bring out any special guests. For those watching with American Sign Language, interpreter and Philadelphia native Justina Miles was as animated and energetic as any pop singer. There was a nod to her $1.4 billion Fenty business empire, and the aerial floating plexiglass stages had some comparing it to a video game. A host of backup dancers adding to the effect. We're like diamonds in the sky. The debate will continue if she did shine bright like a diamond, but the LED lights in which she was bathed and the impressive fireworks show made sure it all ended with a bang. Oh, by the way, for those who tuned in or tuned out after the Riri show, the final score, Kansas City Chiefs 38, Philadelphia Eagles 35. Now, Super Bowl 58 will be held for the first time in Las Vegas next year. And while it's way too early to announce who the halftime performer will be, we can continue to talk about Rihanna. Reporting live for CTV News, I'm Andrea Case. Thank you, Andrea. Avatar The Way of Water is currently the fourth biggest album of all, biggest film rather of all time. And Disney is still thinking about Rihanna. And Disney is taking notice. The movie has earned close to $2.2 billion at the box office, and now there are plans to add an Avatar experience at Disneyland in California. Walt Disney World in Florida already has Pandora, the world of Avatar experience. Stars Tonight is brought to you by Last Man's Bad Boy. Who's better? Nobody. What are the rules in a workplace romance? Though not uncommon, they can get complicated. Parsing through the policies after the break. Honoring a local icon. Tomorrow, the state funeral of beloved Mississauga Mayor Hurricane Hazel McCallion. Live coverage all morning. CP24 Breakfast, where Toronto gets its everything every morning. I, I'm not on the system a whole lot. Um, when I am, I just I keep my head down. You can't police your way out of people not having what they need to live. 
Updating our top stories, renewed concern about violence on the TTC following an incident this weekend. Police are searching for three suspects after a woman was slashed across the face at Spadina subway station on Sunday. The distress and the anxiety of possibly having to lose my dog is, is like a whole other thing. I've increased my visits to my psychologist. A Toronto man is butting heads with his condo board over whether he can keep his service dog. The board requested a $650 fee for an exemption, which he says should not be required as the dog is a registered service animal. I feel he has the moral authority, he has the legal authority, he has authority, he needs to get this through. This is an important budget for the City of Toronto, an incredibly important budget for the City of Toronto. And John Tory will remain on as mayor through Wednesday's budget deliberations at City Hall. The move comes after he announced he would be resigning after revealing an affair on Friday night. Office romances are not considered unusual. Most would agree they can happen almost in any workplace. When might a consensual relationship at the office cross the line and compromise your career? CTV's Raheem Ladani takes a closer look. While workplace relationships are not uncommon, they can often be complicated. It's not necessarily taboo or a no-no unless, and this is where it gets tricky, unless one of the people involved has power over the other person. In Ontario and across Canada, there are no laws preventing consensual workplace romance between a boss and an employee. But it's the imbalance of power that can shift what started out to be consensual into an inappropriate relationship. The subordinate in the relationship realizes that um, certainly their professional life, often their career path is at the mercy of a person with whom they are now trying to end a relationship. To try and avoid that, being transparent about the relationship from the beginning may be helpful if you ever need to file a complaint. And there's what are known as reprisal protections in the Occupational Health and Safety Act legislation that basically prevents the employee from like getting punished or terminated or suspended as a result of bringing forward that complaint. As for the person in the position of power, experts suggest being honest with yourself. Really ask yourself, what are my motives here? And if your motives um, come from a, a sincere interest in pursuing a re relationship, can you be reassigned? Because, again, it's the imbalance of power that can lead to a perception that there's something not right or there's something not fair going on here. Otherwise, the workplace and your career can be compromised. Raheem Ladani, CTV News. On the markets, the Canadian dollar was up a fraction to 74.97 U.S. American Benchmark Oil added 42 cents to close at 80.14 a barrel. And the TSX Composite Index gained 90 points to end the day at 20,702. It's a sure sign baseball season's around the corner. Blue Jays pitchers and catchers started reporting to camp today. Some have already been at the team's complex in Dunedin, Florida, since January. They're preparing for next month's World Baseball Classic. Toronto's first exhibition game is February 25th. The home opener is April 11th against Detroit. Meanwhile, it appears putting an automatic runner at second base to start the 10th inning will become permanent. ESPN says MLB's competition committee has unanimously agreed to continue with the rule for the regular season. It was installed in 2020 to try and limit the length of games. Just ahead, gearing up for the auto show. Car makers and enthusiasts are all revved up and ready to go after a two-year pandemic hiatus.
Finally tonight, a behind-the-scenes look at Canada's biggest auto show. The event is returning for the first time in two years. CTV Scott Lightfoot has more on what to expect. To say they are revved up for the 50th Canadian International Auto Show would be an understatement. We've been running on this full steam since the spring and manufacturers are excited. For the first time since 2020, 26 auto brands are bringing their newest vehicles to Canadian consumers inside the Metro Toronto Convention Centre. We know the challenges that are existing in the marketplace today trying to find the product. But the brands that are here have product available. It is an assembly of all things auto. This year we're focusing on 75 years of Porsche. Including a celebration of an iconic car brand featuring 16 different models from over the past seven and a half decades. I think the most amazing thing about Porsche is, you know, over the 75 years, the diversity of um, different kinds of engineering that you see. There is lots of luxury on display here. This is worth about $15 million. With cars most of us will never be able to afford. In total, we've got about $100 million worth of exotic supercars in the building. There are vehicles built for the military and vehicles built to assist with mobility. It's called the twin mill. It's basically two V8s strung together. It's kind of a perfect example of the kind of wild and crazy cars that Hot Wheels uh, enthralled us with when we were kids. There are also life-sized Hot Wheels, which look a lot like their much smaller models. So we're off, and we anticipate being able to do about 350 test drives a day. This year's show offers people the chance to do more than just look. It's the introduction of a new EV test track. It's a 70,000 square foot space where people can drive themselves. You'll be able to test drive 19 different new models of EVs from every manufacturer at the show on an indoor test track. So Stellantis have brought this new feature for the first time ever to Canada. Or drive Camp Jeep, an indoor mountain track. With just days to go until the show opens, the last vehicles are being moved into place. The Canadian International Auto Show opens on Friday and runs until February 26th. Scott Lightfoot, CTV News. Cool. All right, we've got the weather and Valentine's Day tomorrow yeah. to warm our hearts. Yeah, and you know, I think maybe some people will be tempted with the weather tomorrow, but I don't think it's convertible weather just mm. yet. Uh, keep those winter tires on. We're likely not done with the season quite yet, although tomorrow it's going to look and feel like spring all over again. Here's one more look at the satellite and radar. It's looking like a pretty quiet night around the city tonight. We did have those passing showers in some areas a little earlier on. School day forecast, kids. Don't forget your Valentine's, and as you're walking to school, it might feel a little bit cooler first thing in the morning, but the afternoon walk home going to be nice and comfortable. Here's the seven-day forecast. We're even warmer by Wednesday, but you need the umbrella that day. Looks like things could get a little bit interesting late day Thursday and into Friday with the temperature taking a tumble, and then it's quiet over the weekend, once again above seasonal. Early look at family day with some peaks of sun. Nathan and Zoraida. Thank you, Lindsay. And be sure to join Omar Sachedina tonight at 11 for CTV National News, followed by our next local newscast at 11.30. In the meantime, our coverage continues news anytime on CP24 and online at ctvnewstoronto.ca. For Lindsay Morrison and all of us here at CTV News, thank you for watching. Have a good night. We'll see you at 11.30.